and the Apostle Paul preached so long that Eutychus fell asleep and fell out to the ground and died. The Apostle Paul went down, raised Eutychus, took him back upstairs, and then the text says that Paul preached another long time. Can you imagine dying and going to heaven? All of a sudden, you, now you got to sit in the Apostle Paul message again? <laughs> oh. Well, we trust that as we journey through this book of Romans, it's not something that we can just hurriedly skip through. It is the church's constitution. Some of the passages will not be very relative to us, at least we think that way. But more times than not, it is very relative for us, no matter who or where we are. I've heard a lot of bantering uh, lately concerning the events uh, that surround us in our society and our world and I'm hearing the, the, the phrase, and maybe you have heard it, and maybe even ushered it in. The fact of it is, is the Lord must be, it's getting near for the Lord's return. And when I hear that phrase, I have to, at least in my mind, ask myself the question, which one are you talking about? The scripture tells us that there are three comings of Jesus. One has already been fulfilled. He came as the Savior. He came as the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, John chapter 1. He died upon the cross and resurrected again the third day, and 50 days later rose to heaven. That particular coming Messiah has been fulfilled. But there are two more. And so when people say the Lord soon is coming, I want to know which one are you talking about? Relative to our society, we may be thinking of the one that the Apostle Paul describes for us. And 1 Corinthians 15 and then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Which is the one described as we call it the parousia. That's a Greek fancy word meaning calling out. We refer to it as the rapture. It is a time when we meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will ever be with the Lord. Can someone give me an amen? amen. Oh, are you all ready? Uh, we'll see. Uh, the second one is different. Because that's the one that's described for us both in Old Testament prophets and in Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus literally comes to this earth and puts his feet on the Mount of Olives and then reigns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The difference between the two is not just physical, but it's also spiritual. The parousia, or the rapture, the calling out, needs nothing to happen 
prior to that event. We call it the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Can be any time. Let the donuts rot. Let the coffee stale. That's going home. Where we will sit down and have the marriage feast of the Lamb highlighted by prime rib. That's what I'm counting on, but don't know if that's going to be a happening. That can come at any moment at any time. In fact, one of the key issues of the book of Acts is that people hung around Jerusalem because they thought that Jesus was coming back that soon. And they neglected what Jesus told them to do to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they hunkered down in Jerusalem hoping that they would be some of the first ones to see the return of Jesus Christ. As the angel said in Acts chapter 1, the same Jesus who you saw taken into the clouds, is coming again in like manner. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, even John, I believe they truly expected Jesus to come during their lifetime. In fact, it was even the Apostle John who wrote, Even so come, Lord Jesus. The Greek word is Maranatha. Not to be confused with two young ladies who were at a Bible conference and a keynote speaker was speaking on that particular issue. And he used the word Maranatha. And he encouraged those to refresh their memories by saying that to one another. And these two older ladies came walking up to the keynote speaker and they thought that they were right on target when they said, good morning, marijuana. <laughs> Not quite the same. Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. Each one of those comings, though, have something in common outside of the fact that it is Jesus Christ himself whom John writes in, in, in 1 John chapter 3 that we shall see him as he is. The issue is, is what happens when he comes. It correlates very well with what Paul is writing to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 2, there are moments of judgment. I, I want to quickly highlight the six judgments that are here in this chapter. But then I want to come back and compare the difference between the two comings of Jesus Christ. Last week we saw the first judgment that the Lord Jesus Christ, it is according to truth. Verse 2. 
He will judge us. People are going to be judged according to the truth. I correlated that with John chapter 17, when Jesus in his high priestly prayer said, Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is truth. Judgment by, if you will, the very foundation of what we hold to be so dear, the information from heaven that is wrapped up in 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. It's God's truth. The second one is written there for your notes is according to accumulated guilt. Now, where do you get that, Pastor? Well, notice, if you will, in verse 5 of chapter 2, verse Romans, it says, because of the hardness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. The accumulativeness, if you will, I don't know if there's such a word, I just thought it up, but the accumulus, I can't even say it again, of guilt. It says that they are storing up for themselves wrath. God keeps account. He literally knows and understands, as we will see in a few moments. I got 15 minutes. We'll see in a few moments of what that really is going to look like as described for us in Revelation chapter 20. The third one is according to works, because it says in verse 6, he will repay each one according to his works. That's a quote from Psalm 95. And in fact, it's the same psalm that the writer of Hebrews quotes in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 7 to 15, when the writer of Hebrews says, Be careful, don't harden your hearts as they did in the day of provocation. And they felt the wrath of God. He's describing back for us in Exodus chapter, if you will, 17, and also later, when the children of Israel got to the entrance of the promised land, they said no. And when they said no, God said, there's no changing of your mind. Now you will, for the next few years, suffer my wrath. And they wandered for 40 years. Until the last one died. Then they could go into the promised land. The writer of Hebrews says, don't harden your hearts. Because God does judge us according to our works. The fourth one. Without respect to persons. Impartiality. When we get to Revelation chapter 20, you will see it says both the great and the small stood before Jesus Christ. He's not a respecter of persons. 
I hold an office, but I am no better than you. I have been given a privilege to carry out, and I hold that to be very, very high. But when it comes to God's judgment, there's not a special line for pastors. We don't pass go. We too, as we get to 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, we'll find out that we all have to stand before Jesus Christ. No, God is not partial. He, he judges by impartiality. Number five. It says in verse 16 that he reaches into the secrets of the heart. That is a frightening thing. When I asked you the rhetorical question, are you ready? Y'all said, yep. But what are you hiding in your heart? It will be made clear. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know if Jesus is going to say, roll the camera. I have no idea. But all I do know is he even judges the secrets of the heart. I was convicted this uh, Friday night. I, I really hope there were not many of you there sitting near me. I know Nolan was there and, and such as that. At a football game, I lose a little bit of my salvation. I'm yelling. Referee makes a call. I have to get over here. No! I, I get jacked up. And, and, and on the way home, I, I'm driving speed limit. Nolan passed me. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, to Jesus, that doesn't mean a hill of beans. He knows the secrets of the heart. This week, if your Lord brings it to your attention, you may want to send a, uh, a note to Pastor Steve. Nebraska got beat by Illinois yesterday. <laughs> Sorry, son, I just... A sympathy card would be welcomed, I'm sure. <laughs> He knows the secrets of our heart because I've watched my son watch football. And the apple don't fall far <laughs> from the tree. Last, verses 17 to 29, God's judgment is according to reality, not religious profession. It's reality.
we would read this passage and those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, we think we're in the clear. We believe that maybe, just maybe, there are two groups of individuals that the Apostle Paul is writing to. Verses 1 to 16 and verse 1, it says, O man. And we know that that is not truly a reference of a, a, of a believer in Christ because in, verse, in chapter 1, he, he, he mentions the fact that we are beloved of Christ. So we look at that word, oh man, and we say, don't mean me, I'm okay. And obviously, verse 17 to the end of the chapter, now he focuses attention to the Jewish. You say, you that say that are Jews. And so we think that we have been, if you will, sanctifiably set apart from Romans chapter 2. But I'm here to tell you this morning, that's, that's not true. The implication of the passage may very well dwell into the realm of those two situations. But I'm here to tell you that there's going to be a day of judgment for the believer. And now I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just one book over. From Romans, you go to Corinthians in chapter 3. Beginning at verse 10 through verse 16, the Apostle Paul lays out for us what is called the judgment seat of Christ. The only issue that is not in question here is salvation. You don't go to the judgment seat of Christ unless you are a beloved of Christ. This is a, if you will, more of a judgment of rewards. It is the place where all that we have done for God is placed, it says, on fire. And there are two categories referenced in this passage. It's either wood, hay, and stubble, or it's gold, silver, precious stone. One is a descriptiveness, if you will, of loss, nothing. The other is a part of gain, in which, by the way, we won't have time to look at that, but by the way, all that we gain in heaven, we give back to Jesus anyway. But what I draw your attention to is this, as Paul describes it for us, I want to pick it up in verse 12. If anyone builds on the foundation, now what foundation is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. 
That's the one that Paul says that I've built my life on, Jesus Christ. He says in verse 12, anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. And if anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will experience loss, but himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The judgment of God rests upon our lives, dear people. We're not going to get away with anything. The facade that I put on you, put on every Sunday morning, means nothing to Jesus Christ. I will stand before him just as you. Some of you are going to have much more to gain than I will. I only trust that you won't lose maybe as much as I will. Our judgment is not about whether we are or are not a believer. That has been sealed. Let me just let you in on a little secret. It's called eternal life. And it begins at the moment that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. He who has the Son, 1 John 5, 12, has life. It's not something we have to wait for. It begins at the moment because when we finally take our last breath on this earth, our first breath is going to be the breath of glory. It's a continuation. And in fact, if you make it a good study for yourself, you'll find out that how we live in heaven should not be a whole lot different than we are living now. We are to grow in Christ Jesus. We call it sanctification. Should not be a whole lot of big change. Other than the fact. That I'm old. Ugly and fat. But when I get in glory. I'll still be old and ugly and fat. <laughs> no. I am going to be made into the likeness. Of my Savior. But there comes judgment. Are you ready to meet him? Maybe if you go back to Romans chapter 2 and you realize that, yes, this judgment is by God's truth. Because it says, what we have done according to his word. It will be heaped up. It will be 
by works. It, it, it will be impartial. It will be secrets of the heart. And it won't matter what religion you came from. There's no line for Baptist. There's no line for full gospel. There's no line. The issue is, do you know Jesus Christ? That is the only issue where it begins. The second judgment is recorded for us in Revelation chapter 20. This is the one that the Apostle Paul is referring to when he talks about in the great day of God's wrath. Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 11. Talks about the great white throne judgment. I need to take about five extra minutes. Can, uh, I, I wish I could look over in the nursery and they're going, no, no. <laughs> but, but I think we'll be okay. Five minutes. <clears throat> then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled away from his presence and no place was found for them. In other words, they didn't make much of a image. The focus is Jesus, not heaven and earth. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And here we are, and the books were opened. And it says, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. It says, the sea gave up their dead. Death and hell gave up their dead. And each one was judged according to their works. Death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death in the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The issue here is not the same as the issue back there. This has nothing to do with rewards. It has everything to do with God's wrath and condemnation. Uh, some people have uh, thinks that when the books are opened in reference to the they were judged out of by their works, thinking that there may very well be levels of punishment in uh, the lake of fire. Now, the other side of that coin is this. Is that even though their works were judged, they will not be able to say, but I helped this person, or I did this good thing, or I did 
this thing or I gave this much money or I served on these committees. That means nothing. Because the one book settles it all when it says his name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life. Proof. Again, God judging by truth. God judging by heaping up. God judging by, if you will, what's hidden in their hearts. God judging by works. Religion doesn't help you if you don't have the relationship. And it's the relationship with Jesus Christ that gets God's signature next to your name. Beloved of God. And without that, now Romans chapter 2 comes big. Unless we try to divorce ourselves from Romans chapter 2, you, you dare not quickly escape. Both the believer and the unbeliever will be judged. Ours will be in glory. Theirs will be on earth. And so terrible is that that in Luke chapter 16, even the rich man who's begging for Lazarus for a dip of water on his tongue for a moment will be relieved of his torment in hell to then be cast into the lake of fire. Where there is no more division. Eternally separated from God. Do you know the Savior? That is the only hope that we have. And if he was to come today, are you ready to meet him? He knows your heart. I trust that you have trusted in him. Can we pray? Father of God in heaven, the maker and the sustainer of all that there is, the keeper of the souls of those who have trusted in you, the revealer of all truth, the glorious majesty of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh, how I ask that you would drive your word to the depths of our hearts. Not only creating in us who have trusted in you an awareness, oh Lord, that maybe there are some changes we need to make in our lives in order to be ready to meet you. But also, Lord, a compassion and determination 
to share your gospel with whomever you would bring our way. David the psalmist said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Search my heart, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in your paths of righteousness. Oh God, may we be ready that even at your coming, maybe even today, we would be found waiting and not wanting. And I thank you for the truth of your word. The standard by which not only do we live upon and walk upon and stand upon, but it is the foundation upon which all of life circulates and also lives by. Grant these things in the name of Christ our Savior, I pray. Amen.